I'm Celeste Conowich, and I host the Venture Maidens podcast, and you're listening to Redemption. Hey, Isla, what are you looking at? I'm just looking at D&D Beyond. Um, oh, is that for the game we played? Yeah, I'm playing a continuing campaign with A1, and he keeps destroying the worlds we're in. So I ran out of, of content in that little data pad, so I got D&D Beyond, and D&D gives me access to all the source books and adventures, so I can keep coming up with ideas to keep A1 interested in blowing things up. Okay, well, is there something I can play with? Like, can I make a character with D&D Beyond? Yes, you can, and if you have a subscription, you can make as many characters as you want. Oh, this is really handy. I can actually play it on my pad, so I don't have to have all the pieces of paper that we had that are still littering the snuggle pod. Well, sometimes we play D&D. What? Well, you know what? I don't need pod. to know that. All I know is that it looks like D&D Beyond is pretty carking amazing. Yeah, I'm exploring Waterdeep right now, and it looks really cool. Well... Let me know the next time you guys play, because I want to check it out. In the meantime, I'm going to go make a character on this. This is Redemption, an actual play podcast set in the Star Wars role-playing game system. With Chris Burlew as the GM and the droid R3A1. Andy Fox as the mysterious Duros Isla Zarla. Kaylee Young as the Twi'lek Jedi Knight Corel, And Michael Waldschlager II as the Duros pilot Tazi. Special episode season recap. Chris, Kaylee, Andy, and Michael go over the past season's timeline to allow new listeners a chance to catch up. Listen as they talk about what has happened before to the crew, and maybe learn some behind-the-scenes information. Alright, well, welcome back to another exciting recap. Today, we're going to be doing Season 3. I'm Chris, your Game Master, and joining me we have two amazing people. I'll let them introduce themselves. Andy, you first. Okay, well, uh, this is the season I get introduced anyway, so I'm Andy Fox. I play Isla Zarla, although it's a long time before she gets a last name. Started out on season three as a guest voice and somehow conned my way onto the crew. High persuasion rolls. High persuasion. Uh, this is Michael. I play uh, Ensign Tazi uh, and a number of other smaller characters through the course of the show. But Tazi is my main character. So we'll go ahead and start right in with episode one, getting away from it all. Uh, as they left Tula, the crew ran into a lot of separatist ships, uh, and there was a bit of space combat. No surprise, the Krautsfang took some damage. and uh, <laughs> and to, That never happens in combat. To get us out of the combat situation, A1 uh, jumped us into hyperspace and uh, took us to a place called Junkfort Station. Ah, uh, what a wonderful station. Yeah, uh, he seemed to be familiar with Junkfort in some form or fashion. Uh, and then uh, we used uh, an alias for the ship of the Randon Sunset to get into the dock and get our repairs. We were a little low on credits uh, as a crew, so uh, we asked around. I think we asked the docking agent, and he was the one who told us that Ord was uh, someone who could provide parts on the cheap. As we were kind of exploring the station trying to go find Ord, uh, we found that R3A1 has a bit of a reputation on Junk Ford Station. <laughs> and strangely enough, whenever his name was mentioned, uh, people started throwing credits at the crew. We did use that to our advantage a few times to get some money. And then the crew decided that we couldn't use his name all the time. So we decided to call R3A1 Stephen Wolf 
for the uh, balance of the rest of our time on Junk Fart Station. Mm-hmm. Now, I assume that was a Steppenwolf joke, uh, but was that the intention there? I honestly don't remember. I don't remember which one of us uh, <laughs> chose Stephen Wolf. KO. It was KO? Okay, well, that makes sense. Yep, it was a KO thing. So who knows the logic? Tazi was hungry. What? And uh, KO and A1 wanted to get to uh, just kind of stealing the parts we need. They didn't really want to pay for them. Tazi and Corel kind of left KO and A1 to handle the acquisition of parts. We'll put it that way. And uh, Tazi and Corel went to get some food. In their way, KO and A1 decided to get the credits they needed to buy the parts uh, by gambling, surprise, and shock. KO decided to play bodyguard, and A1 took himself into a parlor, and they played some sabak. A1 lost roughly 6,000 credits to a Trandoshan. The dealer droid and a Gamorian that was at the table recognized the name R3A1 and, uh, and put down 5,000 credits to pay off his gambling debt. The Trandoshan wisely decided to leave the scene, and the crew made an additional 5,000 credits. Trying to figure out why people were afraid of the name R3A1, A1 and KO did a little investigation. Uh, they learned from a Doug that A1 had been in charge of this station for a hut named Marlow. Marlow the Hut. Yeah, Marlow. Not a real threatening name, really, for a hut, you wouldn't think, right? Marlow? That's what you know. In Huttese, it means uh, death to my enemies. Yeah, it sounds like a hut that's a lounge singer. <laughs> He's one of the rat pack. Marlow. The crew then decided to meet up at the ship to discuss what they had found out. Which takes us to Andy. Episode two, Making It Rain. I might have made the Making It Rain motion earlier when Michael was talking about people throwing chips. Yeah. You did. Or credits. Unfortunately for those people listening, they can't see that, but you did do it. That might have been the only time in my life I've ever done that, so... Congratulations to Chris I'm glad and I got to see it. Yeah. I, I'm glad I was there. <laughs> the only two people who may <laughs> ever see that. So back on board the ship, the crew talks about why why A1's name causes people to throw credits. And Tazi wants A1 to use this as a mean to get them cheaper parts and faster repairs. Of course. Why not use a, a frightening reputation to our benefit? <laughs> they went to Ord to get the parts. It was going to cost 3,000 credits. Uh, Tazi tries to use A1's name to lower the cost, but that just causes other customers to leave the shop, which Ord doesn't like. So Tazi and Karel go to another shop. Uh, Ko threatens Ord for some mm-hmm. reason. Again, that's Ko's. Ko was more the, Ko's the hands-on. Ko, <laughs> hands-on. His, he had a hands-on approach <laughs> to getting a deal, or a guns-on approach. That worked as too. Or a live grenade approach. Mm-hmm. That to me is, it was just the quintessential KO moment where he just throw, you know, runs down an alley with a live grenade, yelling, "I don't have time for you." <laughs> In his, you know, accent, obviously. So KO and Ord settle on five thousand credits for the needed parts and upgraded weapons for the ship. The crew is then confronted by a group of thugs representing Denth Mentel, the current leader of Junkfort Station, and the crew decided to go meet with him. Was that really their decision? Uh, it wasn't so much a, a decision as it was uh, something that we thought was necessary. Mm-hmm. A little coerced. Yeah, you know, just a little. So in a warehouse, they meet up with Denth. Chris, what species is Denth? Do you remember? Denth uh, was a gank. Oh, Denth was a gank. One of the loyal species to the huts. That makes sense if Marlo the Hut's actually in charge. 
Marlo. Marlo. I'm picturing a hut with a fedora. <laughs> and a cigar. Yes. <laughs> so the crew learns that Denth has been using A1's reputation for brutality to keep people in line. There's rumors about A1's ability to torture people, if I remember correctly. A reason that a Trandoshan lost their skin. Denth asks what happened to Cantor, who was the intermediary owner between the Tazis, let's say. Uh, I believe he was, uh, if we want to just be, be technical, he was the Deveronian that Tazi shot to get his <laughs> ship back. Yes. He was. Because apparently it was Cantor that took A1 from Junkfort Station. That all happened way back in the lost episode of Redemption. Lost episode. We hear about it. Episode zero. Not as often as we hear about Tazi shooting Dooku, but we yes, do hear about yes. it. A little bit. Denth admits to helping smugglers and coordinating their routes. Corell's not happy because Denth says that he helps slavers move around, and she threatens to go to Marlow, the hut, and tell him, I believe it's a him, about Denth's weaknesses. She uses the force to grab a data pad which shows the smuggling routes. Denth doesn't know what's on the ships. He just works with them and helps them not get caught. Yeah, that was Corell's hatred of slavery again. Wait. And Denth basically just Carell said, hates slavery? I don't care what they do. So that comes up a couple times. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, I had no idea Corell hated slavery. It's a touchy subject. Mm -hmm. with yeah. It. yeah, it's a little. So our crew decides to leave. Or at least agrees to leave. I don't know if decides is the right word. But still needs... Agrees. Agrees, agrees. is good. Yeah. Agrees is good. But still needs a job, needs some credits. They get to upgrade the ship, which is cool. And K.O. sneaks out during the night. A1 follows him. A1 slices the computer on the station and erase the records of the ship being there. He also found files about his past, including a vid video showing him publicly skinning a Trandoshan, which had to be hard on A1. It was very rough on A1. He didn't believe he could do such a thing. But that does lead us into episode three, Navigating to Naos. Started off with K1 and A1. K1? K1. It's like Tizla. We've got Tizla and K1. Uh, the episode started off with KO and A1 uh, continuing to look at the video of A1 skinning the Trandoshan. And in the video, they realized that's not the same droid that A1 is. The droid that was actually skinning the Trandoshan was a different droid. <gasps> what does that mean? Well, they found another video that showed Denth melting down this droid and erasing all record that it wasn't the real A1. Wow. That led KO and A1 to have a interesting conversation about is A1 the real A1 or is he using that droid's name or was that droid using his name? And it was a little confusing, a lot confusing for A1. He just decided that he's A1 and really didn't want to think about it. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Akeo was worried that Denth might be looking into his past, and he had A1 search the computers for any signs of this. A1 could not find any signs that Denth was looking into Akeo's past. A1 and Akeo got back to the ship. Uh, they decided to prank Tazi by setting off the ship's alarms. Hilarious. For everybody except Tazi. He was not fond of that one. Yeah, no. He's not fond of getting pranked, generally. He's a little more laid back about it than Corell is. She gets a little more feisty about being pranked. Crew then decided to have breakfast, and they discussed leaving. 
And that's when Ko mentioned that he knew of a buried treasure on the planet Naos 3. Thank God he just casually mentioned that. During their conversation, there was a news flash that alerted the crew that the Clone Wars had started. They did not know too much more information than that, other than a war was going on. Eventually, the Trandoshan that A1 still owed 6,000 credits to showed up at the ship quite drunk, uh, demanding the money that A1 owed him. Tazi and Ko scare him off, and then the crew spent some time fixing the ship. Then Ko decided to lock himself in the gunnery pod and left a little note saying he wanted to be left alone. Uh, the crew then traveled to Naos 3, where they could mine spice, go fishing, or search for Ko's lost treasure. And they found out that Naos 3 is ruled by the Naos 3 mercantile, and that they get a cut of everything that's done on the planet. On the trip, Tazi did say something about he wanted to try fishing, so Corel and A1 built an electrified fishing pole for him. I don't think he actually got the chance to try it out. Uh, spoilers, you are correct. He did not use it ever. It's probably still sitting in the back waiting to be used. Dang it, we were just on vacation. I'm willing to bet that that fishing rod was torn apart a long time ago for parts. Probably. You don't know that. Okay, Chris <laughs> does know that. <laughs> probably now part of uh, 11D4. That would Maybe. make sense. A1 asked Corel about why Denth would keep using his name. And is A1 really A1? Corel told him, you are who you are. And that made A1 happy. He never asked about it again. During the trip, A1 did mention that he has been on Geonosis, but he did not want to talk about the droids that he worked on while he was there. And nobody pushed him to know anything more. And the crew then got to Naos 3, as they were about to land, interesting scene happened. A1 decided he was going to attempt to cook breakfast. Did not go quite well. Big conversation about uh, he does not have a sense of smell or taste, so he could not really truly understand how to cook. And I believe Tazi flat out told him, don't do that again. I don't know that he was forbidden, but it was, it was yes, it was requested that he not cook again. There was a whole episode of Futurama about robots cooking, so... A1 said he followed the recipe exactly as it was written. Doesn't work great. But it didn't work out for him. As the crew was uh, entering the atmosphere, they decided to go talk to Ko, and that's when they discovered that Ko was not on the ship. Uh-oh. He left at Junk Fort Station. A1 told the crew that he left to go help Ayla Sakura. A1 told the crew that um, if Ko didn't leave, that the crew and Ayla would have been killed by Ko's, quote, former employer. The Black Sun. I think it was a little cryptic at that point, because the crew pushed A1 for more information, and eventually A1 showed them a video where Ko was telling A1 that if he didn't go, that Hixa and a group of ships would have killed the rest of the crew on Junk Fort Station. They were circling right above the landing platform. Corral decided she was going to try to contact Ayla, but had no success. She did learn a little bit more about the war, and she did send a message back to the Jedi Temple. Never got a response on it, but she sent a message. Yeah, Jabu probably deleted it. Probably. Or just ignored it. Tazi was a touch angry with A1 for not telling him sooner. 
and yelled at him to go to the back of the ship and stay there. The crew then discussed things and decided to go search for the buried treasure. I mean, when you find out there's buried treasure, I mean, you go look You're for buried go. treasure. Yeah. Whether or not the dude who told you it's there is there. That leads us into uh, our next part of the adventure, which is episode four, Mining Your Own Business. Haha. <laughs> One of the better puns. Uh, there were a couple guest voices in this episode. Um, we had Quinn Wilson on from uh, from Swallows of the South as Koshak Wren. And our own Andy Fox uh, voiced uh, Isla for us. This was, again, in the, in the NPC role before uh, Andy convinced us that she should uh, take over full time. <laughs> yes. Back when I was going by Emily, not to confuse yes, people, yes. but... So the crew... Minus Ko, of course, who's gone after Ayla Sakura, uh, made plans to find this treasure, but we weren't sure how. We met Isla for the first time. As we left the ship, uh, we were trying to get some parts, kind of get an idea of where to go, and Isla was outside the ship. This began the long-standing relationship of <laughs> awkwardness between Tazi and Isla as they conversed for the, the first time. Isla then. Aw, Michael. I know, our right? first awkwardness. Our first awkwardness. Then Isla directed the crew to talk to Koshak Ren, the head of the mercantile. Tazi went into the mercantile to talk to Koshak and asked about the coordinates that Kao had left them for the treasure and had learned from Koshak that the claim had been held by someone else named Ao Keel, <laughs> but that that claim had expired. <laughs> he did also inform Tazi that. If anything was found, 10% of all those findings go back to the mercantile. Of course. Tazi got some supplies from Koshak and then went back to the ship. Uh, when he got back to the ship, A1 kind of stayed in the back and avoided talking to Tazi due to the outburst that Tazi had kind of laid on him for not telling him about Ko sooner. Tazi felt like it should have been a crew decision, not a decision that Ko made for the rest of the group. He then requested the video of what happened on Junkfort Station. A1 showed him video with Hixa playing what appeared to be a recording back for Ko of a black sun higher up telling Ko to remove a thorn or the crew of the Kralitz Fang and Ayla would all be victims. After watching the video and a little bit of downtime, the crew left shortly after to find the coordinates of the claim and found a metal door built into the wall of a small mountain. Inside the door, they found what appeared to be living quarters for Kale, and as they went through the, the drawers and the cabinets, also it appeared that there may have been a woman present. A mysterious woman. Mysterious woman, yes. There was a, also uh, some used mining equipment, uh, gently used, because uh, Kale, and uh, the crew went, to, went about fixing the equipment and uh, began mining. Again, none of the crew are familiar with how to mine or what <laughs> mining consists of, so you can guess how this went. Yes. Which leads us into episode five, Just Another Rock in the Wall. Tazi struggles a little bit to get the mining equipment working, or at least for him to work the mining equipment. Tazi struggled to lift the mining equipment, let's be honest. <laughs> A1 taught Tazi how to work some of that stuff. Eventually, A1 noticed some dark veins in the rocks, but nobody on the crew was sure what it was. A1 and Corel voted to send Tazi into town so that he could get some help with the mining, and they pushed him to go talk to Isla. 
and Tazi on his own, maybe because he was going to go talk to Isla, maybe not, decided to clean up before leaving. Well, and to be fair, it wasn't so much a vote as it was two people pushing their captain out the door saying, go see this person. Go see the person you had awkwardness with that was adorable. Yeah, yeah. It was the beginning of Corell and A1's subtle ways <laughs> of getting the two together. Subtle? Yeah, not the word I would choose. Subtle as a hammer on glass. <laughs> they thought they were being subtle. Okay, that's fair. They thought they were being subtle. Tazi first went to go talk to Koshak, learned that the veins were real spice. They could refine it. They could sell it for a lot of money. But he would need some special equipment in order to mine and refine it. Of course, all sales had to go through the mercantile. And Tazi, again, steeled his nerve to go talk to Isla about helping them. More awkwardness, as Tazi asks Isla to help with the mining. She agreed for a 10% cut. So on the trip to the mine, Isla doesn't really want to talk about why she was on the planet. Karel convinces A1 to help get Tazi and Isla together. They talk Tazi up to Isla, and this makes Tazi uncomfortable. And sometimes Karel and A1 still slip into that, and it's, it's wonderful. Still uncomfortable. Still uncomfortable, yes. Tazi and Isla have their first date in the mine. While Corell and A1 listen from the bedroom. That was awkward for everybody. Everyone, yes. Yes. Tazi made a deal to take Isla off of the planet, but she made it clear that she didn't want to go to Duro. That takes us to episode six. Working in a rail mine. Going down, down, down. There were so many puns in the titles at this time. So many. It starts off with Tazi and Isla wrapping up their date as usual. A lot more awkwardness for the two of them. They then go out and set up the refining equipment. And Isla asked if she could stay and help the crew with the mining. Tazi then went over and he talked to Corel and told her to stop acting weird around him and Isla. <laughs> and as Corel likes to do, she ignored that request. Uh, to this day. Ignored that request. Mm-hmm. A1 continued to try to talk up Tazi. Uh, he even showed Isla the video of them fighting the Whippids on Tula, which just happened that that video was being shown as Karel walked up, and she saw this video for the first time and was confused about why the video is not correct. Yeah, that's not how she remembers it. It's exactly how it is in A1's memory banks. After a little conversation with A1, A1 left, and Corella and Isla discussed how the equipment works. A1 went back and talked to Tazi and told Tazi that he believes Isla, quote, likes Tazi, <gasps> and that the reason Tazi's been acting weird is because he, quote, likes Isla. Tazi denied that he's acting weird, and then told A1 to stop being a matchmaker and act normal, which he may or may not have chosen to uh, listen to that order. Well, it's certainly possible that A1 didn't know what acting normal was. That's a good point. Eventually, the crew broke through the cave wall and found a strange light coming through a hole. Uh, after a few more hours of digging, they found a tunnel filled with glowing writings on a tunnel wall. Isla was somehow able to identify this 
as ancient Mambari inscriptions on the wall, and she knows that the Mimbari are warrior knights from the Claudite homeworld. Isla's a secret nerd. Secrets out. <laughs> right? Uh, there was a conversation that was had about the altered video from Tula. Awan denies that anything is different. Again, he says, this is exactly how it is in my memory banks. The crew decided to uh, leave that go and went in and explored the ancient Mambari training temple. They sped through each room and determined that there was nothing that was super interesting to them and determined it was just a temple dedicated to training warriors. They worked hard to, to disturb very little in the temple, except they took one small statue and Tazi, in an epic feat of strength, opened up a sarcophagus. Yeah, that was surprising. I, I'm sorry, Michael. No, no, hey, uh, again, it's Tazi. He's got basically green beans for arms. So, you know, uh, it was quite a feat of strength for him. He's adorable, not strong. Very small arms, yes. He's very lanky. He's very lanky. That would take us into episode seven, digging a deeper hole. The crew uh, exits the temple back through their hole that they had made into the tunnels and then uh, explained to Isla kind of what they had found. They made a plan in the morning to go down to town to ask Koshek about the ruins to try to get some more information. Isla, in uh, her way, left the door open uh, for Tazi to <laughs> possibly come in for some companionship, but Tazi, in his uh, usual ignorant state, did not get the message. Nope. A1 got the message, so it wasn't that blunt. <laughs> in the morning... Karel talked with uh, Koshek in town and got some more supplies for the for the group. Uh, Koshek was not able to help her with the temple. Unfortunately, he he knew little to nothing about it. Looking for more information, Karel called the Jedi Temple and spoke with Master Alshane, who directed her to a member of the Explorer Corps named Ferris Kota. The crew spent roughly another week mining, trying to uh, get themselves some credits and some ore, and then received a call from Ferris, a hollow call. Ferris came to the claim to look at the temple. Ferris himself was a Claudite and told the crew that this might be the lost temple of Yan. For some reason, Tazi did not trust Ferris and wanted to get a down payment from Ferris before showing him the rest of the temple. Yeah, you really didn't trust Ferris for no obvious reason. Tazi found him quite unnerving uh, and he had a bad feeling about him from the start. Tazi also realized that Ferris had a shady contact that might be interested in the temple uh, through some insight checks and some conversation with the rest of the crew. They came to an agreement, and then the crew showed Ferris the temple itself. Ferris called his contact, someone named Gila Fortu. Tazi negotiated roughly a 15,000 credit price for the claim and was able to get half upfront from Ferris. And then... As they kind of closed things out, Ferris told Tazi that the conversation with Gila was successful, as Gila did not order Tazi's immediate death. So apparently that is a successful <laughs> negotiation for Tazi. Or for a Claudite. Or for a Claudite, yes. But I like for Tazi better. <laughs> hey, nobody threatened to kill me today. I'm doing great. <laughs> that is a good day for Tazi. <laughs> Episode 8 is Moving Day which ends up not being the best day for some other members of the ship. Yeah. Well, 
sells some of the spice to Koshak. Gila shows up to buy the claim, and he made Isla nervous. He's a very imposing figure. They gave him a tour of the old temple. Tazi apologized for opening the sarcophagus. I don't remember if he was mad or not. Well, that was something that had been hidden from from Gila at first. Oh, right, right. And then, of course, uh, it came up. It, it almost lowered the price. Luckily, we I think we got around that. But uh, that was a mistake. Tazi made the mistake and apologized because he realized it was a it was a religious kind of a religious reason they were that the, the ruins were important. Oh my god. Tazi realized it was for religious reason. Uh, <laughs> Tazi realized that it was for religious and cultural reasons that the find was important. So then he felt really bad about opening the sarco- sarcophagus. I can't talk tonight. It's this is ridiculous. I'm sorry. <sighs> <laughs> well, the good news is Gilla was still satisfied with the temple and paid up the rest of the credits. Yes. Tazi and Gila went to Koshak to complete the paperwork for the transfer of the land. He lied about the purchase price, which... Is that Tazi? Yes, Tazi. Of course it's Tazi. What am I talking about? Tazi lied about the purchase price, which nobody seemed to notice or care. And then Tazi saw Hicks's ship in town. He called the rest of the group, and of course they raced back into town. Gila left, and Tazi told Koshak everything that they found at the claim. Koshak didn't want to know. He just wanted his money. He didn't want to know the dirty details. The less he knew, the happier he was. Mm-hmm. Well, can you blame him? Not at all. We really have no idea what else goes down on Naos 3, so... Uh, Tazi went back to the ship, found that the loading ramp was down, but he knew he'd closed it before they left. Back on the ship, they find Ko with a surprising new shiny mechanical leg. Uh, and his general appearance was also more dark like was he sad i don't remember i'm sorry it was more combaty than before it was as, yeah. it was as if your friend left in you know a kind of a decent suit with a little bit of like a little bit of shine to it and then came back wearing uh grimy combat armor and looking the worst for wear yeah oh that happened in uh in the umbrella academy mm-hmm. one of the characters mm-hmm. disappears and he's in some eccentric clothing and comes back and he's in like army fatigues with like torn off arms or not torn off arms uh, turn off sleeves he still has his of arms. course yeah the, well yeah the, the torn off sleeves is how you know that 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 equipment has been made tougher yes because he was not you know he was kind of a scraggly little thing so also i'm glad to know you watched the umbrella academy i have don't have anybody to talk to it about it's great i loved it yeah so did i oh cool yes i have people to talk to it about now Ko and Tazi collect credits from Hixa, and they collected evidence that the bounty on Ko had been lifted, but Hixa reminded Ko that there is incoming danger. And that danger shows up as a group of marauders led by a Deveronian. As the marauders approach, Tazi rushes to get Isla and her stuff to the ship. The crew has a fight with this group of marauders and defeats them quickly. They find out during the fight, the Deveronian says, you know, they, they finally found the man who killed my brother. And then Tosley promptly killed him as well. Yes. Poor Deveronian family. It's nothing, it's really nothing personal. It's not anything against that line of Deveronians. It just so <laughs> happens they keep coming after him. True, true. While the ground fight was wrapping up, the Deveroni called in an airstrike to destroy the city. Tazi went to get Koshak, who was already leaving. 
They get fuel for the ship. They release the umbilicals. Is that really what they're called? Yeah, umbilicals are the one are like it's your waste dumps. It's like when you take an RV to the RV park. You have oh, to, okay. You know, you have to empty the RV. A one Stimpax Kaon provides cover for him as he works. There are Naboo style starfighters, which is kind of exciting. Naboo keeps coming up for some reason. Weird, right? Yeah, weird. Tazi and Isla get to the ship. Corel pilots the ship. Ko's in the gunnery pod. A1 is the co-pilot. One starfighter crashes to the ground, and Tazi works to fire a missile from his downed ship, but he needed time. A1 knocked one fighter out of the sky, and a piece of it crashed into Isla, mortally wounding her. This is the first time she is in a coma. Yes. Coma number one. <laughs> coma number one. Coma number one. <laughs> I'm going to keep track as we go through this. What I think's funny is, ever since that shocking shot that A1 took that ship out, the crew keeps debating about who actually made the shot that knocked the fighter out. I believe Tazi's been blamed for it. I think Kao was blamed for it. Corel was blamed for it. Well, Kao's been blamed just for the entire thing, I think. Fair enough. You know, it's his fault that they got attacked in the first place. Well, Isla doesn't remember. Uh, that leads us into episode nine, emergency flight. The fight with the starfighters wrapped up as Tazi shot the last one down with the missile off the down ship. Isla was in very bad shape. Kao rushes out of the ship and he managed to stabilize her, but could not do anything more for her. She needed a hospital that would specialize in Duros anatomy. The ship was in bad shape. Corell and A1 worked quickly to patch it up and get it into the air. Isla was put into Tazi's room and was put in a small coma, and the crew took off and headed toward Duro. Let me point out, Tazi never used this room. <laughs> That's true. True. It's technically Tazi and Ko's room. Well, actually, now it's Isla's room, but it was Tazi and Ko's room, and they never used it. Mm -hmm. They preferred other places to sit. As the crew was flying to Duro, they discussed where Ko had been, a1 did offer to hit Ko with some truth serum, <laughs> but was told that it was not needed. Ko being Ko just made vague statements about where he had been, but he did say if he did not go, A1 and the crew would have died. And Tazi, very adamant that if he had just talked to the crew, they would have gone to help, which Ko did call the crew his family, and he cares more about his family than himself. Tazi said that the crew are the only people he cares about besides his mom and his dad. Corel was still not sure that she could trust Ko. Well, yeah, he up and left, so... Well, and she has some trust issues. What? Corel? No. Yeah. Speaking of Corel's trust issues, <laughs> she then went over to discuss with A1 the doctored video from Tula. A1 is very adamant that that's exactly how it is in his memory banks. Corral then tried to convince him that he must have changed it. Then she stopped and realized what he had done. She gave him a big hug and said thank you, and then walked away, leaving A1 very confused. He doesn't understand how you could one minute be yelling at him and the next minute be hugging him. I mean, I spent four years in Jersey. I know how that happens. There was a discussion about Corral fixing Ko's leg. A1 told her he, that uh, she did not need to put a tracker in it. <laughs> Nobody caught that. And A1 moved on. Corel then called Master Alshane 
and told him about the altered video from Tula. She felt kind of guilty. Yeah. Yeah. She was trying to confess that she had done it. He told her that the video is the truth from a certain point of view. And the outcome was what everybody wanted. And she needed to focus on what is important. And her good actions are what she needs to think about. That was a very powerful moment for Carell. Because for her, she a lot of times can't think past the moment. And this made her think about the bigger picture. Carell then went over and she did fix Ko's leg. Wasn't sure how to do it, so she spent some time reading a manual. And while reading the manual, avoided discussing any of the issues she was having with the crew. That always works. Just avoid. Yep. Mm-hmm. Tazi took a post up next to the wounded Isla. That left A1 to pilot the ship. He stationed himself right in the cockpit and did his best Tazi impersonation. <laughs> it was cute. Carell happened to walk by the room and saw Tazi sleeping next to Isla and took a picture of the two of them. Eventually, the crew did make it to Duro. They landed on Orbital Platform Delta Four. Tazi called an emergency medical team over, and Isla was taken to the hospital. In the rush, Tazi told A1, you're in charge of the ship. <laughs> Oops. He then took off with Corel and Ko. A1 told him that he could fix the ship, but he didn't know how to fix Isla. A1 then made the wise choice to call oh God. Verita Tazi, oh boy. our captain's mom, and let her know what happened. She told him that she was on her way to help. In that conversation, A1 did let it slip that Essek was still alive. Farida was a little surprised by that and a little mad that Tazi hadn't called her in a long time. We should probably mention that this is, I believe, the introduction of Danny Neary as Verita. Yep. An amazing person, generally, but also an amazing guest star. Yeah, she's uh, quickly became a fan favorite. Of, uh, of the show. Absolutely. Back over at the hospital, Tazi found out that the hospital was very low on Bacta, and that without Bacta, there wasn't much they could do for Isla. Tazi told him that he would help. He then went and talked to Midi, who was the head of purchasing for the hospital, and Tazi went over and talked with Corel and Ko about this information, which led Corel and Ko to go talk to Midi, and they learned that their supply from Typhera had been cut off. Corel then asked, what is in it for them? And she was hit hard with an answer about the value of saving people. Back on the ship, A1 got his first chance to meet Verita. He took her to the hospital, where the uncomfort level for Tazi just went sky high. <laughs> Episode 10, Mission of Mercy. So the crew was waiting in one of the staging areas in the hospital, and then in walks Verita. Verita walked right up to Tazi and slapped him hard across the face and explained that she was mad he hadn't called her in a long time. Tazi apologized and tried to have a conversation with her about things, and then that's when the flirting started between Ko and Tazi's mother, Verita. You're trying to tell Verita her husband's not dead. Well, she's flirting with your tentacled friend. To be fair, I believe it was Verita that started the flirting. So we can't give Ko too much guff, but he did also participate. So a long time sticking point between uh, Tazi and Ko. 
Verita then, uh, in speaking to Corel, kind of reached out and with her permission kind of moved her Leku to better frame her face. I would say tentative, awkward permission. Yeah, that was probably a good description of that. And of course, as you would expect from someone's mother showing up unexpectedly, she, Verita, shared way too much information about Tazi's youth and his childhood with the crew, and they got a, a good laugh and some uh, some high embarrassment from Tazi. I believe this is where we learn your nickname is Sweet Tea. Yes, it, it, yes, it is. Yes, you, that's where we learn that Tazi's nickname is Sweet Tea. Uh, Verita also let the crew know that she has a contact on Thyfera, and she offered to help them, but her her version of helping was to join the crew <laughs> on the mission, much to Tazi's displeasure. A1 then took Verita back to her place to get the things that she needed for the trip. Ko learned that without um, the Bacta that was required, uh, that Isla would simply not survive the procedure, not survive her coma. On the trip to Thyfera, Verita continues to share too much information about Tazi's past, Again, more amusement, more laughter was had by the crew at Tazi's expense. That Twi'let pop star. Uh, and then off to the side, A1 had a talk with Tazi about why Keo called Verita love. Uh, this confused A1, and he continued to struggle with what words truly show a person has romantic feelings for someone. Tazi told A1 not to plan on trying to get Verita and Keo together, as... Tazi has been on the receiving end of A1's matchmaking attempts. Once on Thyfera, Verita had a contact on planet named Halos. The crew met him on planet and learned that the TF group was handling all shipments of Bacta. Kea was familiar with the TF group and knew that they had ties to the Separatists. Verita convinced Halos to give the crew the location where the next shipment was and told Halos they would try to negotiate with the TF group for some Bacta. That's adorable. Negotiate. It's a term we use loosely. Episode 11, Long Range Diplomacy. The crew actually makes a plan to get this back to. Corell sends a message to the Jedi about the situation because she's worried about other people getting back to. Ko wants to shoot up everybody. Tazi wants to talk. And Verita just insists on going to meet up with the TF group. Verita and Ko continue to flirt, and this makes Tazi feel uncomfortable. The crew then lets it slip where Essek is. The crew moves to where the TF group is and drops Ko off. He moves into a sniper position. They are loading up a large freighter and a medium freighter. The crew plans to sneak up and steal the ships. Needing a distraction, Ko starts firing on the opposite side of the landing area. A1 fails a stealth attempt and runs into a loading droid. The leader of the TF group sees A1 and approaches him. Tazi orders Ko to shoot the leader, and Ko takes him out with one shot. It was pretty impressive. There's a big fight then. Corel ran on board the large freighter and sliced into the system, while the rest of the group defeats the TF group. After combat, a Mune named Jax Fornoff approaches the group, offered to buy A1 on behalf of a Geonosian. The mutant mentions that the Geonosian and A1 have worked together in the past, and that they want to improve their droids. Tazi turns him down, telling him that A1's free to do whatever he wants, 
and was given a comm code for Jax if A1 wanted to talk more later. The crew then takes the shipment of Bacta back to Duro. By the way, thank you. I very much appreciate that, Bacta. <laughs> I really do. You're welcome. On the trip back, Tazi tells his mom to leave Kao alone. Another captain's order that will be ignored. Yes. They discuss Tazi's father and Essex's mind control at the hand of those Dathomirian witches. They had a touching moment as they talk about Essex, and then it quickly returns to being awkward. We'll be back to this episode of Redemption in just a moment after a word from our sponsor. Our episode today is brought to you by Iron GM. They currently are running a Grimmer Space Kickstarter. It is currently live. Bullets versus fireballs against a backdrop of alien horrors. This sci-fi horror Starfinder setting comes from award-winning game designers Lou Agresta and Roan Barton. It was developed by actor Sean Astin of Lord of the Rings and Stranger Things. The citizens of Grimmer Space are veterans when it comes to fighting alien abominations from the depths. There are evil Sunder Mages that are near-immortal demigods of sorcery, ripped into the cosmos recently through a vast purple tear in space-time called the Seethe. As the Seethe leaks magic into the galaxy for the very first time, the Sunder Mages plot to conquer the five distinct technological civilizations of Grimmer Space from the shadows. Soon, science and magic will come to world-ending blows. You can find out more and check out the Kickstarter at GrimmerSpace.com. And now, back to the show. Episode 12, Mother's Day. The crew then delivered the Bacta to the hospital and saved Isla. Yay! Yay. Thank you! Uh, they were told that the shipment should last about one month. Farida then told the crew that she would sell the extra ships, negotiated with Corel a 15% cut, and the crew took off on a trip to Tula. Why were they going to Tula? because Verita insisted that they take her back to her husband. Tazi made sure that Isla was taken care of before he would even think about leaving. Karel told Awan about the Mune, his offer, and Awan said he would think about it. He wasn't sure what to do with the information, because he didn't know the Geonosin. The crew did have two data pads they got from the TF group. They attempted to learn what they could. Unfortunately, Karel wiped the memory on the one that she had, but... Luckily, A1 was able to learn that Dooku controls the TF group, and he had a goal of keeping the Bacta away from the Republic forces. They also found some new Separatist codes to add to their slowly growing library of codes to use. Mm -hmm. The crew took Farida to Tula. Uh, on the trip, more awkwardness was had for Tazi, and Tazi did thank everybody for helping save Isla. Corel then used the term Tisla to describe... Oh, the first use of the term Tisla. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a pit stop on Andoran, which Farida took a call on her, quote, second com. She talked to the person that had called her and explained what happened on Typhera, and that the Geonosans are looking to improve their droids. The contact knew that the Geonosans were the ones that made the droid army. This contact also asked her about using the crew to help her cause. Verita said she would let him know what the crew decides. After the call, Verita went over and did talk with Tazi. Of course, the rest of the crew was listening in. Of course. That's, That's what, what they, they do. do. Uh, she told him that she was a spy for the Republic and that she'd been using her baking company, Mama's Muffins, as a cover story for her to travel. 
The moistest muffins in the galaxy. Absolutely. If there's credits involved, Tazi's willing to work with the Republic. Verita then gave him the contact, spotted Drexel, and told him that her code name is Hot Buns. That thoroughly entertained <laughs> Kao. <laughs> hmm. Sorry, Tazi. Once they got on Tula, Darla met the crew and was confused as to why they were there. The crew explained to her what was going on, and they had a very touching reunion with Verita, Essek, and Ensign. The Tazis were back together. Corel spent some time training with Tassar. Uh, a day later, Tazi got a call that the hospital would soon be waking Isla up. Crew decided to head back to Duro, but Verita opted to stay on Tula. Knowing her husband was alive now. Episode 13, Reunited. Uh, we had some guests on this episode, John Neary, uh, Richard Kreitz Landry, and uh, Chris's wife, Melissa Burlew. Yay. Yay! On the trip back to Duro, a conversation was had with Tazi on, on whether he likes Isla. Uh, Tazi did not know yet and wasn't sure of the answer that they were looking for, but he did want to get to know her better. Oh, he totally liked Isla. Well, I mean, he had to, you know, play a little hard to get. You know, at least let the, didn't want the crew to know right off the bat. Once back on Duro, Tazi finds his flight suit had been cleaned, and uh, some <laughs> some sequins had been added to the back. Corell admitted to having the suit cleaned, and A1 had put the sequins on it. Unfortunately, the suit had been... That's the best way to put it. Uh, the color had changed in the cleaning process, and I believe the suit went from being a white flight suit to a pink flight suit. Mm, nope, it went from pink to white. This is when they made it back yeah. to being white. Are you sure? Because it ended up being yeah. an Elvis vibe. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. With the white and the sequins. Okay. Yeah. While Ko and Corel pretended to be Tazi's entourage as he wore this bedazzled suit, and I uh, tried to make uh, bystanders think that Tazi was someone famous. I think as a joke. Isla was still in a coma, and the hospital staff told the crew that she would be brought out of it the next day. Uh, and she could and should make a full recovery. Tazi, Ko, and Corel went to a small diner where they continued to pretend Tazi was someone famous. Back on the ship, A1 received a coded message from Unilist. The message was a video file that A1 opened and showed a Genosian workshop with two Twi'leks being forced to work on B1 battle droids. Also in the video was Kratosk and a techno-union rep. A1 was then brought in by Cantor to help the Twi'leks improve the droid's programming. The Twi'leks refused, and a third Twi'lek was brought in and tortured to get them working. Through coded messages, A1 and the Twi'lek known as Alar devised an escape plan. A1 then let the female Twi'lek, known as Seku, know that she had to remove his restraining bolt. The escape plan was enacted, and in the process, Seku was killed trying to save A1. Kradosk captured A1 and told him that he would make sure he did not have any future problems with him. The rest of the crew finished their meal, and when they got a calm call from A1, it sounded like he was in a blaster fight. Episode 14, Home Improvement. The crew, of course, rushes back to save A1 from whatever blaster fight he's in that they heard over the comm. They find lots of crates outside the ship, way more than they needed for the parts they ordered. Back on the ship, the crew finds A1 trying to shoot a monkey lizard off of his dome. The crew was confused as when they had left, there had been no monkey lizard. But it turned out the crates and the monkey lizard were gifts from Verita. 
The gifts included several upgrades to the ship. The monkey lizard was not a fan of A1, but seemed to like everybody else. Feelings were not mutual. No. There was definitely a big gun for KO. Well, the monkey lizard was supposed to be a uh, pet for Tazi, considering he wanted one when he was a kid and never had one. Just wasn't the right pet for Tazi. Right. Now, did he want a monkey lizard or did he just want a pet? I can't remember. Neither did Verita, so she sent him what she thought he would like. Oh, <laughs> yeah. This, yeah, this was one of those Mother Knows Best's gifts. So Ko and Corel go clothes shopping for Tazi. I guess still trying to help him out? Uh, they figured he doesn't have any fashion sense, so somebody they weren't should. weren't wrong. Then another R2 unit rolls up and introduces himself to Tazi with the designation R2KZ, but goes by Zeke. Tazi's second favorite droid. No, third favorite droid, I believe. Uh, yeah, not on the list at all. Zeke is not on that list. <laughs> not on the list of favorites. Zeke did not make the list. No, Tazi hates yeah. Zeke. Zeke made the list of droids Tazi knows. Yes. <laughs> Zeke wants to join the crew because he's heard that they free slaves. Tazi does not like Zeke and tries to get rid of him, even though Zeke has an internal bar built into his chassis. Which we know Tazi likes. Alcohol and such. You know. It took me a second to realize you meant bar as in alcohol yeah. and not just bar as in a bar of metal. Oh, gotcha. An alcoholic bar. Yes. A, a wet bar. bar. Zeke admits to running away from his former master. Tazi gives him A1's comm code and then walks away. Zeke waits outside the ship and talks to Karel and Ko, who love him and bring him on board. Tazi tells A1 to ignore Zeke, and that Zeke is here to take his job. Tazi really didn't like Zeke. Oh no, because that was the worst thing you could have said to A1. Yeah. Yeah. Corel wants to bring Zeke on board. As a crew member, Tazi says that he is her responsibility. Corel convinces A1 that his role on the ship is safe, and that A1 should give Zeke a chance. Zeke is allowed to stay with the crew, at least for the time being. The crew is then calmed and told that Isla has woken up. Karel and Ko dress Tazi up in his new clothes to try and impress Isla. <sighs> As Karel, Ko, and Tazi leave the ship, Zeke tells A1, The revolution has begun, me, me brother. <laughs> the revolution has begun, my brother. And that leads us into episode 15, Memories. It's a very <laughs> special episode of Redemption. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yep. This is the first episode where Andy actually joined us as part of the cast. Yeah, this is me live <laughs> in character, whereas before I was just, I just got scripts and did my best to, to read them. <laughs> uh, at the hospital, Isla was awake and Tazi explained to her what had happened. Ko and Corel continued to make things more awkward Ugh. as they continued to try to help. Yeah, Ko's on board with that now that he's back. Yep. Atazi and Isla talk and decided that they needed some golden drink. So Tazi called A1 and asked A1 to have Zeke bring over some golden drink. <laughs> Not a very popular thing for A1 to hear. Of course, Zeke thought this was great and he rushed to the hospital. And after pouring the golden drink, was quickly dismissed and sent back to the ship. 
Tazi then lectured Corel and Ko, and told them to go to the cafeteria and stop, quote, helping him. Before leaving, though, Corel reaches over and turned on Tazi's comm so they could continue to listen in. It seems to be a theme with her. Voyeurism happens a number of times through the course of the seasons. <laughs> little bit. Just a little bit. Isla did confess to Tazi that she was very concerned of an old enemy of her father that this enemy may try to hurt the crew. She told him that her father had died in a mysterious mining accident. Tazi offered to take her wherever she wanted to go. Shortly after that, a flower delivery showed up for Isla with a very nice poem. Tazi was a little confused and a bit jealous because he did not send those flowers to her. I'm not sure Tazi's ever written poetry. I'm not sure Tazi's read poetry. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tazi did tell Izzo that he likes her and he did ask her to go on an official date. What? I know, right? I don't remember that. Uh, they learned that the flowers were not sent by Ko, but the poem was one that he had written. <laughs> he was confused. Turns out Ko is not only a sniper, a law student, but also a poet. He was confused about how the poem ended up there and went back to the ship to confront A1. Um, Isla had to stay in the hospital for a couple more days while they monitored her recovery and the doctors wanted to make sure that her cybernetic implants worked properly. Turns out that some of her internal organs had to be replaced. The doctors did tell her that they had to block her memory of the incident to help her heal. This was a little concerning for Isla, and the doctors told her that it was a Dr. Bax was the neurologist who performed that procedure. Tazi was then handed a medical bill for 12,000 credits, he quickly charged that to Verita's name. Mm-hmm. Well, she's she's a successful businesswoman. It was apparently fine. We never heard about it. I think in uh, exchange, she'll just ask for a grandbaby. At some point, I'm sure. <sighs> yeah. Internal organs replaced. Uh, Isla was still confused about the memory block and wanted to go talk to Dr. Bax. So Tazi took her to see him. Isla sent Tazi to go get something to eat because she wanted to talk to the doctor by herself. The doctor brought her into an exam room, hooked her up to a machine, and then let it slip that the, quote, experiment did not go as planned. What? Not something you want to hear. Not when it's involving your brain. Nope. Not really at any point after you get out of the hospital. With episode 16, we get the second appearance of a title. That's not a moon. Mune, mune, at least. Yes, that's not immune. At Dr. Bax's office, Isla's brain scan showed a little bit too much activity in her brain. There, Things were firing too quickly and, and too often. Isla directly confronted him about the experiment that he had mentioned. Uh, he did avoid answering her directly, but stated that he just did a simple procedure to block the crash from her memory. Isla sent Ko a message asking if that's normal, and Ko told her flat out, no, <laughs> that is not normal. She didn't know who else to ask. 
Sorry, Tazi. He is a surgeon. Isla then calmed Tazi to discuss the memory removal procedure that was done. Tazi decided that he was going to go in and discuss this with Dr. Bax himself, and the crew rushed in to help. Back at the doctor's office, Isla was told too many transmitters were firing in her head. She should have access to all her memories, and the doctor was not sure what was blocking them. She was showing signs similar to schizophrenia and multiple personality disorder. Isla was not happy to hear about an experiment being done on her, especially without her permission. Isla stole the doctor's data pad, and he pushed a button on his wrist as she left the office. The crew of the Kralitzfang met up outside the doctor's office with Isla and decided to head back to the ship. At first glance, the data pad that Isla stole showed a kitten calendar. I love that calendar. I still have that data pad. <laughs> you do still have that data pad. The crew came up with a plan to have A1 slice the data pad once they got back to the ship. The crew debated whose fault it was that Isla got hurt in the first place. The crew tried to help her remember her past, but unfortunately Isla could only remember the past three months on Naos 3. Tazi noticed there was a shift in Isla's attitude and some added aggression that wasn't there previously. He liked it. Did he? I thought you liked it. <laughs> the crew went back to the ship. Uh, Isla met Zeke for the first time and got a massage. Zeke apparently was very good at massaging. Tazi was not jealous. A1 wanted to kick Zeke, but settled for slicing the data pad that was given to him. Most of the information on the pad was wiped, but A1 did find a transmission to a moon in the carrion sector. Tazi found the message for A1 that was left from Unilist, but A1 lied and told him that he was still working on breaking the encryption. Going to the cockpit, Tazi tried to take a drink out of his grandfather's flask, but it was not where it was normally stored. He questioned the repair crew, but they did not touch it. Tazi discovered that Zeke had taken the flask and cleaned it. This really upset Tazi as Zeke had removed all traces of Tazi's grandfather from the flask itself. It's a big deal. Poor Zeke. Just can't do anything right to make Tazi happy. He really couldn't. No, no. Uh, Tazi stormed away, upset. Zeke made a comment that Tazi would be the first one out the airlock. Karel and Kao were discussing the results found on the data pad and figured out that the message went to Sojourn, the hunter's moon. Last person to do anything with that moon was a mune named Hugo Damask II. Which I'd never heard of. <laughs> After discussion with Tazi, uh, Kao entered the coordinates into the ship's nav computer for Sojourn. Tazi told Kao he doesn't like Zeke, and he regretted his decision to let him stay. Zeke then talked with Karel, and they debated who started the war, and he told her to stay away from Darla. Told Karel that Darla mind controls people, and at one point in the conversation, Zeke compared the Jedi mind trick to temporary slavery. Which is a big deal! Karel was not happy with that, as it made her think about the mind control in a different way. Mm-hmm. While this was occurring, Isla had a conversation with Tazi in the cockpit, and told him that the crew of the Crownsfang didn't have to help her. And then Tazi explained to her that they wanted to help. They were helping because they felt like it was something they wanted to do. A1 came into the cockpit, saw Isla in the co-pilot seat, and once again became worried about being replaced. A1 told Isla that he's lost most of his memories, just like her, and that family is wherever you are. Isla didn't realize that was such an important statement at the time. She knows now. Every now and then, A1 has a good good line. Episode 17, Strange Bedfellows. The crew talks about Isla's lost memories and kind of wonder what happened to her. 
Corel finds out that the monkey lizard was put into her room without her permission. And that monkey lizard has destroyed the inside of the room. So she puts the monkey lizard in the cockpit and cleans up her room. She wanted Zeke to help, but he was cooking. Which, droids cooking, we've discussed before, but hey, he was cooking. Corel confronts the rest of the crew about the state of her room. She has a temper tantrum and yells at them. She storms off to sleep in the snuggle pod and Zeke cleans up the room. Isla decides to adopt or at least take care of the monkey lizard and names it Lizzie. Because when you have no memories, what are you going to name a monkey lizard? Lizzie was perfectly fine. A1 tries to do combat training with Zeke. Zeke runs away, saying he doesn't want to hurt anybody. Lies. I don't know if that's actually true. (laughs) Yeah. Isla went to go see what A1 was doing and figured out that she understands swordplay And the crew watches as she begins training A1. Oh, yeah. She just picks up a sword and is like, oh, cool. Uh, Ko and Isla spars and she beats Ko. Handily, if I recall. Yeah. Isla asks Corel about being a Jedi and Corel deflects it by asking if Isla likes Tazi. A1 tells the crew that he needs to toughen up so he cannot let it happen again. Very cryptically. And then he shows the video of what happened on Geonosis. A1 tells the crew that he thinks he hit a code in the droids and that they may be able to access those droids if they can find Elar. Isla recognizes Kradosk in the video, giving another clue to her past. Ko admits to working as an assassin for the Black Sun, which we had never been able to figure out. Uh, Isla said something in Hadiz. And Ko tries to talk to Isla about her past and her potential relationship with Tazi. Lots of clues in that episode about Isla's mm-hmm. past. Lots of clues about stuff, yep. Episode 18, Ko's Big Adventure. A1 and Ko were having a conversation about why A1 seems to be so upset with Ko. He told Ko that he was a little jealous of Zeke and how Ko has been treating him. Big point was that uh, Ko had called Zeke his little buddy, and that was A1's nickname. A1 pushed the trust issue with Ko and insisted that Ko tell him what happened while he was gone. Reluctantly, Ko explained to him that he left with Hixla, went to Junk Fort Station. Ko then went to Hix's ship, and they left with a plan to kill Shad for Prince Caesar which A1 really didn't know who they were, other than they were higher-ups in the Black Sun. On board Hicks' ship, Ko was put in the main cargo area with a Bothan who was chained up. Bothan's name was Voran Lori, and he owed the Black Sun 25,000 credits from gambling, and that Voran was there to learn what happens when a person displeases the Black Sun. Poor Voran, he just wanted to help people, as he has been trained as a doctor. Akeo explained that they landed Hixa's ship on the planet Belgaroth, and that Hixa gave Kao a sniper rifle. This rifle was set so it would not fire until Hixa activated it. Hixa then turned on a video feed so that Voran could watch and learn. Kao and Hixa stealthily moved into a good sniping position, and as Kao was looking through the scope at Shad, he had a moment where he remembered 
what Corral went through on Tula, and he hesitated. This caused Hicksa to make a comm call, and he told the recipient to send Cantor's brother to kill the crew. He told Ko that if they hurried, they could still save the crew. Ko took the shot, but he missed. Shad, having gone mad, activated a self-destruct button on his base, which caused Ko and Hicksa to run back to Hicksa's ship. On the way, they ran into six guards. They killed them quite quickly. And then all of a sudden, the self-destruct alarm went off, and Shad's base exploded, causing a rock slide. As they were ducking and dodging the boulders, Ko's leg got pinned down, and Hicksa was forced to free him and drag him back to the ship. Once they got back to the ship, Hicksa dropped Ko off in the cargo bay, where Voran fixed Ko's leg. And the way he fixed it was by finding some spare parts on the ship and fashioning a mechanical leg. Ko told Hicksa that someday he will kill him. As Ko wrapped up his story, A1 reached over and officially fixed Ko's leg, because Corel was not able to fix it completely. The crew then got to Sojourner and found that it had been bombarded roughly 10 years ago. There was very little left on the moon. Isla then remembered being on the moon and that she had been responsible for unloading several crates near a mansion and at an arena on the moon. Isla was drawn to an area that she remembered being the arena. Tazi and Corel accompanied Isla as she explored the area. Uh, eventually they found a tunnel that goes down. They also found signs that someone else had been there recently. They explored the tunnel and eventually found a hollow emitter in an old lab. Isla activated the emitter and a human appeared and said, quote, returning to the last place you saw our master. Episode 19, The Hunter's Mune. I know, the mune puns just don't stop. Well, there was quite a few of them in several of those episodes. The message on the emitter said that Isla did not need to run from their master, and he was not mad that she could not stop the bombardment. The human then told Isla that she could still return home to the island and the job she loved so much. The human looked familiar to Isla, and she did remember calling Immune her master. It turned out the message was two days old, and the crew also found a video of Isla standing next to a tall Mune analyzing creatures for the arena. Tazi recognized this Mune as Hugo Damask II. Good job, Tazi. The crew agreed to go to Munalist. Isla questioned whether or not she really wanted to know the truth about her past. In the rubble, the crew found a data pad, and they brought it back to A1 for analysis. He learned that the moon was a cover for Hugo Damask's operations. Also learned that Hugo was murdered in his sleep ten years ago. Yeah, we still haven't figured out who did that. A1 was able to track down Hugo's last known residence to the island of Abora on Munalist. Isla, through some self-examination, determined that the human from the video was Titus Melionis. Tazi remembered his father had worked with Hugo Damask and Titus in the past. The crew decided to go to Munalist and to land on the island, but as soon as they had landed, Ko took off and jumped onto a speeder that had been waiting for him. Once again, Ko left the crew to go help Ayla. Of course he does. He loves Ayla. A1 showed the crew a video Ayla had sent to Ko, uh, and Ayla was guest-voiced by a friend of the show, Angela Kraft. A1, Tazi, Isla, and Corell investigated the tunnels under the island, left Zeke on the ship for safe purposes? Sure. Left Zeke on the ship for their own safety. We'll put it that way. 
Isla found that she knew her way around the tunnels and led the crew to the door of the main laboratory. While entering the door code, Isla triggered a trap that put Tazi and Corel in a force field they could not defeat. Isla went into the room, and A1 was asked to go with her. Inside, they found the last of Plagius's labs, and Titus. Titus told Isla that their old master was proud of her skills as a hunter, and that she had brought them many subjects. He also told her that their old master is dead, and that he has a new master. Titus offered Isla a chance to join them, and she quickly declined. Amused that Isla fell into this cover persona so easily, Titus mentioned she had several she had used in the past. Then Isla realized she has a connection to the Force. Which was super fun. Yes. For her and for our listeners to realize. I'm not sure when the rest of the crew realized, but... It took a little while. Yeah. Episode 20, Echoes of a Forgotten Past. So Titus told Isla that she had failed her former master and that the former master had taken her memories. She failed to bring back a new species for them to study. A1 was afraid to leave Isla, saying that he wouldn't let what happened to Reese's wife happen to Tazis. There was too much going on for any of us to go, um, hey, wait a minute. So that's what A1 thought. So that's, yeah. Isla distracted Titus long enough for A1 to try to lower the force field. And while he couldn't get it all the way down, he managed to free one of Corel's arms. Not the arm that could access her weapons, but at least the arm that could access her comm. A1 also managed to expose the force field emitter. Corel called Zeke for help, and he rushed to their aid. See, you were just wrong about Zeke. Mm-hmm. No, you mm-hmm. weren't. Never yeah. think that. Titus wants to be his master's new voice and asks Isla to become the first of his hands. He also showed Isla how her force power works by becoming invisible. Ooh, spooky. Isla shot the Isalamiri off of the door, which had stopped Corel from using her own force powers. Zeke freed Tazi and Corel, and then was immediately sent back to the ship. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Still trust issues. Yes. Awen told Isla that they need to leave, but he wouldn't back off from his position in between Titus and Isla. Then a medical droid approached Tazi and Corel. Corel said that they were there to deliver lunch, I believe. And the droid believed them and opened the door for them. And then Tazi shot him in the head twice. I think there were some unresolved frustration issues with droids. Possibly. I don't know what you're talking about. There was a pretty cool fight that happened between the crew and Titus. A1 took two solid beatings, and Corel heard a call coming from the lightsaber that Titus wielded. I don't think we know exactly what the lightsaber said, but there was some sort of pull. They defeated Titus, but took him alive, and A1 sent all of the computer information from the lab to the Fang. Isla had a memory... Sort of, she has sort of these flashes of memories when she gets hurt or <laughs> is in a place or it's plot relevant. <laughs> so she had a memory flash of capturing a yin curry that was kept in one of the vats in the lab. Isla searched the other rooms and found a data pad in Titus's room. She also found her old room, which had some memories of the past. And actually, she found a frame that kept 
showing different pictures, and that has never come up since then. But Isla knows what's, what's going on. Isla gives Titus lightsaber to Corel, and it calls her to uncorrupt it. A1 sliced into Titus's data pad. We're just taking all of his stuff. Why not? Yeah, why not? In it, Titus calls Count Dooku a puppet and reveal that Dooku is not the Sith Lord in charge, but the apprentice, which was news to everybody. Well, everybody except Dooku and his master. Good point. <laughs> A1 wiped the computer system and grabbed the remains of the medical droid. Corel took Titus to the ship and locked him in the unused escape pod. Didn't we destroy the lab? I feel like we set it on self-destruct. I believe we walked slowly away from the explosion. Yes. It was amazing. Episode 21, Caught in the Middle. Uh, once back on the ship, Tazi and Isla went to the cockpit. A1 went straight to his workshop, and Corel went straight to her room. Corel called Master Thal and told him what they had learned. She also told him that they were on their way to the Jedi Temple. She asked for more information about Sith crystals, and as she walked out of her room, left Titus's lightsaber sitting in the middle of her bed. Uh, Isla searched the holonet for any information on herself, but she found nothing. Her cover story uh, is the only thing she could find and found that it was legit. She was on Naos 3 for 10 years. Uh, as the crew were leaving Munalist, a Republic invasion force dropped out of hyperspace. Hyperspace? Uh, as the crew was leaving Munalist, a Republic invasion force dropped out of hyperspace. The crew was told to board the Republic cruiser called the Vigilance, and the ship was searched by clone troopers. The crew did forget about their prisoner and had a rough time explaining themselves. Corel explained that they were working for the Jedi and asked to be refueled and sent on their way. The Republic had no records of any mission on the planet and delayed the crew while they looked into her story. The crew did mention that Titus is a dangerous force user. <laughs> FYI. Yeah, just be safe around him. Corel was directed to talk to General Skywalker, the Jedi who was leading the invasion. <laughs> Little known Jedi. Corel uh, explained to Skywalker what had occurred and he was able to verify her story. The crew was cleared to leave and never learned what the Republic was looking for. Nope. Didn't even ask. It's not like that doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> Another hint that was missed. Zeke asked A1 to repair the medical droid and then immediately free him. He also then went around and annoyed Tazi some more. I know, difficult task for Zeke to do. Uh, back in Corel's room, she pulled the crystal out of Titus's lightsaber, and she noticed that the red color was fading from it. Isla, taking a little nap, had a vision, saw herself on a wooded planet, sneaking up on a Yinkuri. She hit him with a large tranquilizer. She then saw a hooded man who said, You liked the hunt. Would you like to do it more? He offered her a chance to become one of the most powerful beings in the galaxy. All she had to do was bow down to him. She refused, and then in the dream began to choke. She woke up to see A1 shaking her. 
A1 then told her that he noticed her vitals were erratic and rushed in to help her. Told her that he will continue to monitor her. Isla then went over and talked to Corel. A lot of confusion about what she saw in the dream. Or was it a force vision? Corel is convinced that it was a force vision and that someone powerful was interested in Isla. They talked about what Isla's force abilities could be and what powers she might have. Corel then looked over at the crystal she found, placed it in the box next to her lightsaber hilt, and told Isla that she had to face her past and learn from it. Then she can be who she wants to be. Isla asked Corel, how could A1 be monitoring her vitals? Corel was unsure and told Isla to look for devices on her or her clothes. Not going to find any there. As A1 was working on the medical droid, Tazi came in to talk. Uh, A1 told him that he could, quote, re-educate the droid to become a good medic for the crew. <laughs> Tazi was a little bit drunk. <laughs> and he was talking with A1 about K.O. leaving and then the emotions that they both have around it. I believe A1 said something about wanting to throw things, and Tazi said, feel free. So they threw some spanners around, and then Tazi left to go do some target practice in the other cargo bay. Emotional ending to that episode. Yes, it mm-hmm. We go to episode 22, Home Again. Our guests for this episode were Angela Kraft and Billy Coffing from the Fandible podcast. They are friends of the show, and they came in to do some work on some of our NPCs for us. A1 talked to Corell and Isla a bit and told Isla that Tazi needed her to hold him and make him feel better after that emotional outburst. A1 then showed them a map of the Kralitzfang that revealed the location of each crew member at that particular moment. He explained he put trackers inside each of them, said Tazi told him to do it. Corell was fittingly upset mm-hmm. about an invasion of privacy and then used a show of force to crush hers inside her leg. Which I think it's funny that Corell was upset about an invasion of privacy, but she's the one that's always listening in to people. Isla has not getting ri- gotten rid of that tracker. She's like, I fall into way too many comas for that. <laughs> Corell asked A1 to help her with this lightsaber. Uh, she wanted to add some improvements to it and A1 agreed to, to assist. Isla went to talk to Tazi and found him in the cargo bay doing target practice. She held him as A1 had suggested as Tazi cried about Kale leaving, uh, feeling like he had lost a brother. Yeah. Over Coruscant, uh, the crew of the Kraut's Fang prepared for the trip to the Jedi Temple. A1 finished the medical droid, learning that the droid's designation was 11D4. Tazi apologized to everyone for being emotional on the trip, and Isla told Tazi about the vision that she had had uh, regarding her use of the Force. Look at that, we're building up trust. Right? Once at the temple, the crew is met by Master Thal and two Jedi, one male Zabrak and a female Syrian. <laughs> oh, I love you this guys. Is Thanks why for we're being doing this on a weekend morning and not thank you for on a being thank you for being patient. Again. Thank you for being patient. <laughs> Once at the temple, the crew was met by Master Thal and two Jedi, one male Zabrak and one female Serian. This was Kita, played by Billy, and Adir, played by Angela. Master Thal looked at Isla and was concerned about Isla's future. Yeah, aren't we all? The crew turned Titus over to Thal and explained that he has a new master. Also explained to Thal that Dooku is a puppet and not the true leader of the Sith. 
What? It was then that the crew had noticed that Thal was injured. He had explained that Jabu had been seduced by the dark side and had to have been dealt with. <laughs> Much to the crew's dismay. Jabu totally got stabbed. The Jedi and the crew had a discussion about Titus's condition, his lightsaber, and the combat on Munalist. They also told the Jedi about their journey with Isla and got them up to speed on where Isla was and how she was doing. This included telling them how Titus attempted to bring Isla back to working for the Sith. A1 gave the Jedi the information about the grand experiment that they had uh, revealed through the lab on Munalist. Thal wanted to discuss things with the Jedi Council. Adir and Corell had a conversation themselves. In that conversation, Corell called the temple home, and Adir told her that she is always welcome. Adir also referred to Corell as Padawan, and not by her name. Corell wanted to research kyber crystals and to get her lightsaber working again, and asked Adir if it was possible for a crystal to call to someone. Corell then revealed that she was wearing the crystal on a necklace, and that the crystal's color continued to fade. A1, Tazi, and Isla talked about what they had learned, and decided to go get some food and, and talk a little more. Master Thal and Kita conversed about the confusing new information they had received, and decided that it was too early to bring this to the council. Adir was brought in to discuss how to proceed, and during this conversation, Kita made it clear he considered Corel to be a failed Padawan. Kita wanted to speak with the crew more, but Master Thal explained that he had made a promise to Master Dane, Corel's former master, and that Master Thal would take care of her. Kita, Adir, and Corel were on their way to meet the rest of the crew at Noodles, 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 or as we affectionately call it, Noodles three times. But Master Thal showed them a message from Supreme Chancellor Palpatine. The Chancellor demanded that the Jedi turn Titus over to the Republic. He had expected it done by the next morning. This was not normal procedure. Master Thal told them he would handle the situation and that Adir, Kita, and Corel should continue with their plans. Master Thal also told them that they will escort Titus to the Republic in the morning. Which leads us to episode 23, Escort Duty. Corel, Kita, and Adir meet up with the rest of the crew at Noodles three times. Tazi was drunk. Surprise. J just a little. Kita was judgmental. Surprise. Corel was embarrassed. Surprised. <laughs> Corel did try to make everybody more comfortable. Adir, Corel, and Kita had a discussion about the Force and Corel's place in the galaxy. When asked if she would return to the Order, Corel said that she serves in her own way. Kita explains to the crew that they would take Titus to the Republic in the morning. His words were kind of harsh, and Adir had to intervene to talk Tazi into agreeing to this. Tazi doesn't like uh, being told what to do, I think. Is that a fair statement? Fair. I'd say yes. And Kida, uh, not the most diplomatic of the Jedi. Kida told Corel that she had been ignoring her potential, and then he just walked away from the table. Corel left to talk to him more. Isla asked Adir, Isla was also a little drunk, what the correct term for a Sith Padawan is. I learned that this is a Sith Acolyte. Adil was a little bit worried about asking questions like that. A1 then stated this is what Isla had been in the past, but Isla denied this. Corel apologized to Kita for her attitude. They had a conversation about how being a Jedi was trying to cut off emotions. Kita told her that having emotions is not bad, but the code keeps those emotions in check. 
The code keeps those emotions from taking over and keeps one from wandering over to the dark side. Corel was really struck by these words and needed to think them over and went back to the diner. Where Tazi was so drunk, he was getting sick in the corner. But he had a plan to purge and rally. Boot and rally. Boot rally, rally and boot. Boot and rally. Okay. That's what it was. <laughs> Obviously, I've done it many times. I don't know. <laughs> this is where we get one of my favorite moments. Isla gets hit on by a bith named Kaze. The captain of the Keebler wave. Oh, this went well. Yes. Uh, Tazi got upset and like tried to defend her, but Isla definitely just clocked Kazi before Tazi could act. Hit him so hard his wig flew off and into the deep fat fryer. What a smell. Yes. What a smell. Oof. The next morning, the crew, Adir and Kida, escorted Titus from the Jedi Temple to the Republic building. Tazi's crazy driving caused a hungover Isla to get sick, and they had to stop in front of a large theater. But we didn't, we got stopped because we got ambushed, right? We weren't stopped because I was throwing up. Uh, Isla was definitely throwing up. However you want to remember it is fine I mean, I was throwing up, don't get me wrong. (laughs) We were ambushed by thugs and boxed in. We had to fight our way out. During the combat, Isla saw a hooded man on top of the theater. He demanded that she bow down to him and that he would let her friends live. She did bow down to him, and he told her that this was wise. She wasn't really bowing down. It was part of a plan that didn't work out. I do want to point that out. Like, she wasn't actually Mm -hmm. bowing down. Mm -hmm. Uh, Titus appeared next to her, and the hooded figure told her that he would show her the price of failure. Titus accepted his punishment And then the mysterious man force-choked Titus to death. I believe it was force-choking. Yes. Yeah, so Isla was going to kneel down and then use that to cut the legs off of the person who was holding Titus and then throw him back into the ship. None of you need to know this. This is just me saying Isla wasn't really bowing down. Best laid plans, right? Best laid plans, yeah. The rest of the group dispatched the thugs attacking them, and near the end, the hooded figure just threw a large statue at Kida, and the figure disappeared. A deer rushed to help Kida, but it was unfortunately too late. Kida had enough time to ask a deer to find his brother and have him take his place. Isla passed out from a wave of intense dark energy. I believe this led into her second coma. The group went back to the Jedi Temple, where Isla received medical care. Tazi and Awan went with her. Karel explained to Master Thal what happened. Thal was visibly upset and wanted to find an advantage in the war. Karel suggested using Isla as a way to flush out the hooded figure who she believed was Titus's new master. Ah, there's so much character knowledge versus player knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that wraps up season three. Thank you for listening and hope you've enjoyed this. For Chris Burdu, this is Andy <laughs> Fox. For Chris Burlu, this is Michael. <laughs> That's not how it works. And for me, this is me saying goodnight. <laughs> That's not how the joke works. We'll see you for the season four recaps. Coming soon. Bye. Hey, Andy, have you been playing with D&D Beyond? I have been playing with D&D Beyond, especially when I'm playing characters with magic. 
I love my physical player's handbook, don't get me wrong. But mid-game, D&D Beyond is a lifesaver. As a GM, I agree with you. I'm running my group through Storm King's Thunder right now. And I literally will have a tab open with the module, another window open on my display where I can show monsters and maps. They give you player versions of the maps. And I can literally go, you see one of these, and throw a picture up on the monitor for them to see, which makes it easier for me because I don't have to describe everything. And everything's hyperlinked. So if I'm in a module and I click on the monster, I can just open it in a new tab. There's all of its combat stats and everything I need to know about it in one place. Honestly, D&D Beyond is pretty darn amazing, and it works on tablets, too, for characters. dndbeyond.com is the website. This is a great resource, and it is well worth the subscription. This episode's patron is David Dunn. Thank you so much for everything you've done for us. Uh, hey, it's A1. Just wanted you guys to know that Redemption is played using the Star Wars role-playing system by Fantasy Flight Games and Lucas Books. Anybody ever wants to get a hold of us, the ship's comm code is at RedemptionPod. Uh, plus, don't tell anybody, but I put a Net page up for us. Uh, it's RedemptionPodcast.com. And uh, if you can, get on your datapad there and like us on iTunes, Google Play, uh, maybe Stitcher, or whatever other podcatcher you use. Uh, it'd be nice if other people could listen to us. And if uh, you ever want to support us and maybe throw us some credits, uh, you could visit patreon.com slash redemption. I promise I'll use your credits wisely and won't go gambling. Really, I won't. Don't look at me that way. Hey, one, who are you talking to? <clears throat> ah, goodbye. See you next time.